Hello, I'm Natalie Goldberg, and welcome to Education from an Equal. Today, I wanted to discuss the concept of toxic masculinity, something that is not included in the majority of health curriculums, whether deemed fully inclusive or not, but that is intertwined within the many issues in the realm of health, whether that be consent, relationship building, or even domestic violence. The issue of toxic masculinity is dramatically ingrained within the facets of health education, yet the topic is often left out. How does this gaping educational hole affect modern teens? We'll explore the answer to this question and more in today's episode. Toxic masculinity is a huge societal contributor to rape, domestic violence, and overall inequity as men struggle to deal with their emotions in a healthy way. Because men have been taught for so long that they should not express emotion, whether by example from the men in their own lives or from what they have seen in the media, they often have trouble coming to terms with their own emotions. Whether those emotions are anger, sadness, or even affection, it is difficult for them to express the way that they feel because emotions in any capacity are deemed unmasculine. This causes many men to attempt to deal with their emotions in ways that are deemed acceptable for men. But oftentimes, because of society's skewed definition of manhood, these ways are detrimental to the men involved and the people around them. On TV, we see men punching walls, or worse, other people, instead of crying or having a heart-to-heart -heart with someone they feel close to. This translates into the real world as little boys who fight each other are deemed more socially acceptable to their peers than little boys who talk about their feelings and problems. At times, domestic violence also comes as a result of toxic masculinity. When men are unable to communicate to their partner the way that they are feeling about a fight or a disagreement between the two, they resort to violent measures, like the ones that they have been taught to mirror. Not only does toxic masculinity affect the way that men express emotions, but it can also harm their sense of identity, which can lead to issues like sexual assault and harassment. Because of the toxically masculine culture, many boys grow up believing that to be cool or popular, they need to be sexually experienced, leading to many boys feeling as though they need to have sex, pressuring the girls around them who may not be ready to do so into it. With this, only 10 states reference the word consent in their entire health curriculum, and even those that do often discuss the issue at a surface level, with lessons regarding the meaning of no, and the infamous consent is like a cup of tea video. While this information is crucial for teens, the majority of these curriculums do not address one of the main causes for these repeated breaches of consent, which are the sexual expectations that men are held up to. This issue is more broadly explored through the concept of toxic masculinity as a whole, as one of the root causes for the ridiculous and dangerous sexual expectations is the fact that the concept of masculinity as a whole are skewed. Because there is no nationally regulated consent education, there is no uniform definition of consent. People may not know how to differentiate between a yes and a no or an unclear answer. This lack of unanimity within the curriculums leaves it up to the teachers once again to discuss what consent really means, which creates more fog over an already foggy issue. Another major issue I have with the current consent curriculum is that it tends to lead towards the side of victim blaming. While the discussion of consent is required in Oregon health curriculum, in my own experience, the specific way in which these issues surrounding consent are brought to light can have effects that are actually detrimental. The explanation piece just isn't there. 
The discussion of preventative measures regarding rape can be completely life-saving, but in tandem with these must come a frank and open discussion between students regarding why many women need to take these preventative measures in the first place. Many students from schools all over Oregon that I have spoken to have mentioned teachers in their health classes often recommend not to wear revealing clothing or be outwardly flirtatious, two things that are rampant within the reasonings of those who often blame women for rape. While the discussion of preventative measures is crucial, they should mainly be referred to measures such as pepper spray or the buddy system, or even a reminder not to leave one's drink alone at a party. And yes, many curriculums do discuss these things. However, what they are truly lacking and what is crucial for these discussions to actually make an impact is the origin of this issue. Why do women have to be cautious at parties and in cities? Why is it important to never go somewhere alone at night? Without conversations like these, the blame is indirectly placed on them, those who find themselves victims to these horrible crimes, as they ask themselves what could have gone differently had they accurately prepared. This also leaves the door open for people to blame the victim as well, as they have been taught time and time again that it is their job to protect themselves, not the job of others to treat them with basic respect. With a discussion of these causes, whether that be toxic masculinity, rape culture, or an array of other societal issues, much of the blame will be lifted, and students will be able to introspect regarding their own actions, creating a safer, more thoughtful environment within schools that will translate to the world as a whole. In understanding all of this, we can see that the biggest problem with the current state of health curriculum is that it does not target the root of the consent issue. As has been made incredibly clear by the recent events of the Me Too movement, consent has been an issue for many years, and its standing in society has not seemed to improve in the slightest over the course of decades. To many, the solution is clear. We need education that is not simply surface-level, borderline, preemptive victim-blaming advice to young girls and telling people that they need to hear the word yes before proceeding. People know that when someone says no, it means to stop, not to consider stopping or press to continue. The real problem is why they don't listen. So we need to delve into toxic masculinity as a whole, specifically what I would like to see within consent curriculum that would hopefully be adopted nationwide in order to ensure uniform standards that the young people of today can be held to in terms of respect and consent. First and foremost, consent education similar to that of Oregon, Vermont, California, with standards regarding consent often beginning as early as kindergarten in some states within normal interaction, needs to be implemented everywhere. There remains 42 states that do not mention consent in their health curriculum whatsoever. That is 42 states, the vast majority of the United States with young children not growing up understanding boundaries, sexual or otherwise, creating a dangerous environment that lacks the foundation for mutual respect. Consent in its basic form, defined as giving permission for something to happen, must be instilled within students everywhere in order to rectify the issues of the status quo. However, our students deserve and require more than just a basic education. In this discussion of consent, it is crucial to target the root, which is what students are not doing currently. So, with the discussion of sexual consent, students should also engage in a teacher-led discussion about what societal factors contribute to the current climate of our nation regarding sexual assault. What I envision in my perfect health curriculum is a discussion of consent and its applications, both sexual and physical, when students reach the age of high school. 
though they would have already had a basic understanding as a result of the values of physical consent that would have been built into their curriculum as they continued through elementary and middle school. In addition, schools could continue to discuss the risk factors of sexual assault, like being alone at night or in a large city, or leaving your drink alone at parties, but in doing so could challenge the victim-blaming nature of these recommended practices by engaging in a discussion centered around why. Not only can we provide options for women to protect themselves and tell them reasons why, but we can also provide men with an ability to nip this issue in the bud by creating an environment where they feel comfortable with emotion. Toxic masculinity education not only helps deal with consent issues that arise from the sexual expectations of men, but it also introduces them to the way that they are affected by the patriarchy, and it is a good way to introduce teenage boys who are not often educated about this sort of issue to the concept that feminism can benefit them as well. The main reason why many men are opposed to feminism is because they feel as though it is fighting directly against them. However, when they are exposed to the concept of toxic masculinity, they too can understand how they are hurt by societal expectations. I know that it can be very difficult for men to express their emotions in a society that is constantly shaming them for doing so. The most important thing to emphasize during these processes and these prospective discussions is to only ask these students to do what is comfortable for them, because forcing them to share their deeper secrets to the whole class is never a good idea. Maybe beginning by asking them to show emotion to their close friends and reminding them to never feel ashamed for crying or being emotional is a good start. They could discuss that the most healthy thing in a relationship is to use words and be vulnerable to express the way one is feeling. This overall can lead to a more positive dynamic that can influence long-lasting and fulfilling relationships between both men in friendships and in relationships. It is also crucial that we do not blame these young men for having difficulty with expressing their emotions. While this isn't excusing the multitude of rapists and assaulters who have been influenced by toxic masculinity, the men who are simply struggling to express their emotions in a healthy way need support, not anger and blame. The more both women and men accept the struggle that men have as a result of the patriarchal and hyper-masculine values American society holds, the less problems there will be in the future where emotionally charged issues escalate to domestic violence, because men will have learned from a young age how to express their emotions in a healthy manner. As a man, especially an older man, the best thing that one can do is model this healthy, emotionally vulnerable behavior. This is especially true of male teachers discussing these issues. It is crucial not to shame students for expressing emotion, especially in a class like health where emotionally charged topics are rampant. Additionally, it is crucial that these classrooms are a safe place and that teachers immediately address and punish any behavior or bullying that enforces toxic masculinity. In my own experience, teachers not doing so in class has been the main reason why health doesn't feel like a safe environment. If anyone takes anything away from this episode, it should be this. The patriarchy harms men as well as women, especially in terms of dictating the standard for male behavior that forces them into a box of masculinity. This in turn harms both men and women. If we are going to solve this problem, not only do we need to allow men and boys a space to discuss their feelings in order to foster a culture of acceptance, but we also need to challenge the antiquated way consent is being taught currently, as is often discussed through the lens of victim-blaming. This change must begin within the school system if it is to have any effect on our culture. So, in conclusion, consent education must be altered. Currently, even in states that do claim to have fully inclusive education, the curriculum continues to lean towards victim-blaming and or a surface-level analysis that does not combat the real problem. Why? 
why the breach of consent is such a prevalent issue in America today. And what I believe that is, is toxic masculinity. What I would like to see in terms of schools going about this is a pointed discussion of toxic masculinity and rape culture alongside the basic discussions and definitions of consent and risk factors. There are many avenues through which this could be accomplished, as there are a multitude of groups that are working to target men and boys in the discussion of consent and rape culture. One of these groups is Promundo, whose educational materials I will be linking on my website in the transcript section for this episode. Promundo utilizes many of these same discussion topics that I have mentioned in their educational tools. If you are a teacher, I would very much recommend that you look into their educational materials. Thank you so much for tuning into the official second episode of Education from an Equal. The next episode will be released on Sunday, March 24th, two weeks from now, because I'm trying out a new uploading schedule in an attempt to provide more deeply researched and analyzed content. If you want a preview of what we will be discussing in that next episode, be sure to check out my website, www.educationfromanequal.com. See you on the 24th with the next episode of Education from an Equal.